Hey, podcast listeners, the Orthodox Center for the Advancement of Biblical Studies is sponsoring its annual biblical symposium at St. Elizabeth Orthodox Church in St. Paul, Minnesota, March 8 to 9, 2019. This year's keynote speaker is Dr. Robert Miller from the Catholic University of America. Meet Father Paul Tarazi and other scholars who will present and discuss papers on biblical exegesis and language. Join Father Mark Bulos and Dr. Richard Benton for a live recording of the Bible as Literature podcast. Engage with others like you who are committed to biblical studies for all who have ears to hear. Register online at ephesusschool.org. Each week, the Bible as Literature podcast brings you in-depth discussion of the biblical text in a format short enough for your morning commute, but long enough to be substantive, posing difficult questions meant to keep you engaged. If you value this work, please consider donating as little as 25 cents per episode. That's just $1 per month. To learn more, please visit patreon.com forward slash Bible. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com forward slash Bible. Thank you. Hi, this is Father Mark Bulos with the Bible as Literature podcast. It's unclear how or when the phrase, I love you, became the sacrosanct rubric of America's devolving mating rituals, but it did. In the place of duty, honor, and commitment, we peddle the fake importance of a self-involved, emotionally insecure obsession with three words that represent a hormonal response. Even if you think you disagree, you know it's true. Your spouse can say, I love you, until they're blue in the face. It's meaningless if their behavior says otherwise. Enter Matthew chapter 7. Jesus does not care if you say, I love you. The world does not stop spinning, and it is not an apocalyptic sign that now you are truly his disciple. No way! Human words are cheap. You are only his disciple when you act like it. Richard and I discuss the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 7, verses 21 to 23. Today's episode begins with a reading of Deuteronomy, chapter 13, verses 1 to 3. You're listening to the Bible as literature. This is Father Mark Bulos. And this is Dr. Richard Benton. And you are listening to episode 263 of the Bible as Literature podcast. If a prophet or a dreamer of dreams arises among you and gives you a sign or a wonder, and the sign or the wonder comes true concerning which he spoke to you, saying, Let us go after other gods whom you have not known, and let us serve them, you shall not listen to the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams, for the Lord your God is testing you to find out if you love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. In a nutshell, don't be impressed with the miracles and the light show. Stick to the text. And if the miracles and the light show don't serve the text, then they are false, and the one who brings them is false. I wanted to begin right away, Rich, with this passage from Deuteronomy, just to save our listeners from falling in the trap of thinking that 
the miracles in the story are the fruit of the teaching. Performing miracles is fantastic. However, calling people to follow other gods is not. When you perform miracles, it's less important than if you're teaching to hold the course, to stay true, to trust in the Lord your God exclusively. Not the Lord your God among other gods, but exclusively in the Lord your God. That is primary. It must be primary. Miracles and healings and all this kind of thing are secondary to that obedience to the teaching. That obedience to the teaching is an important distinction. When I hear Deuteronomy 13, and the text says that you're being tested in verse 3 as to whether or not you love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, you cannot hear it in the same way that those who are the object of Jesus's critique in verse 21 hear this statement that you are to love the Lord your God. Because if you do, you will fall in the trap of saying how much you love Jesus, how much you love God, how much you care about him, how you're so dedicated to him. But that's not what Deuteronomy is talking about, and that's exactly what Jesus will soon clarify in Matthew. To love God in Scripture with all your heart and with all your soul is to seek the text. Remember, this is Matthew. Seek and ye shall find. Knock and it will be opened to you. If you love the Lord's precepts, if you love his commandments, if you meditate on his wisdom in the night watches, those actions demonstrate that you love and serve the Lord. It's not love the way we Americans use the word cheaply, where we tell each other, I love you all the time, as though somehow this has value or bears some content. The reason older cultures think that's silly is because it is. It's like that beautiful scene from The Fiddler on the Roof. You know I love you because I did your laundry. Come on. Why do you have to say I love you? If you're saying it, something's wrong. And that's exactly what Jesus is getting at here in Matthew verse 21 forward. You either love the Lord or you follow other gods. People think that loving the Lord is having warm feelings towards the Lord, feeling misty-eyed about the Lord. And it really doesn't have to do with feelings because in Deuteronomy 13, you may not follow after other gods because you are supposed to love the Lord. Love and obedience go together. One demonstrates the other. If you're obedient, it shows that you love, and if you love, it shows that you're obedient. They have to go together. If they don't, then we're talking about a disconnected feeling that just makes us feel warm inside, and that's precisely not what this is talking about. That connection between obedience and love is what Deuteronomy is getting at, and it's what Jesus is getting at in Matthew 7. It's not a feeling. Loving God is not a feeling. Loving God is being obedient to him. And what does it mean to be obedient to him? It means seeking his will in the text and then carrying out that will. I mean, we talked about the fruit in Matthew 7. The fruit of obedience, the fruit of love is that you're doing what he says. It's that simple. And if it's any simpler than that, and it's just a warm feeling, you're off track. If you work miracles and you are not submitting to the text, you will use those miracles and those signs as a mechanism of your power. 
That is the hoax of religion. That's why they take people's money on television selling healings. Whether the healing is an illusion or not is irrelevant. It's a manifestation of power that is used to lend credibility to something other than the content of the text. Remember, ultimately, that the healing in Matthew is not about physical healing. It's about correcting through instruction. When your behaviors are set straight by the commandment, you are healed. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father, who is in heaven, will enter. Saying Lord, Lord does not get you in. You have to do his will. I mean, it's very straightforward here. The other thing that's important here is that we again have this phrase, the kingdom of heaven, entering the kingdom of heaven, becoming a citizen of this kingdom of heaven. Jesus lays it out as clear as day. Claiming that the Lord is God with your lips does not allow you to enter the kingdom. Only doing his will allows you to enter into the kingdom of heaven. If you're saying it with your lips, then it's your word. But if you're doing his word, then it's his word. And this obedience is the key to the kingdom of heaven. Don't forget, this kingdom of heaven has been coming up every single chapter, whether in these precise words or in similar phrases. This has been the key to understanding Matthew since the very beginning in chapter 1. This king demands obedience in a very specific way. Every god has their teaching. Every king has their teaching. Everyone has their test to see if you're loyal or not. Jesus has been laying out what loyalty means, and it's going and serving the other, and not making yourself the center, but making the Lord's teaching in the text the center. It's very difficult for people to understand verse 21, because religion, not just today, but always has been about personal relationships with the deity. When Jesus says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, it's not obvious, even though it's straightforward, because everyone thinks of loyalty in terms of personal loyalty and personal relationships. But he is transferring that mechanism, which is dominant in ancient Near Eastern religion and normally pertains to the relationship between the king and the deity. He is undermining that by saying that your true demonstration of loyalty to me is obedience. In this sense, it's especially difficult for we Americans to hear this text because we want our children to express love to us. We fall for the Hallmark commercial that frames parenthood in terms of affection, and we miss the most important point, that real parenting is about giving instruction, and the true role of the child is to receive instruction and to obey instruction. As we said with respect to the Lord's Prayer, you know that someone is your child when they behave according to your instruction. That is how God discerns who his sons and daughters are, by their deeds. For us to say, Kyrie, Kyrie, when we are not doing what the text demands of us, which is his instruction for us, in his ears is the same thing as someone who is unfaithful in a relationship saying, I love you. 
or someone who doesn't do the dishes, who doesn't do the laundry, who doesn't drive the kids to their activities, who doesn't help keep house. We sound like someone who behaves that way saying to their spouse, I love you. It's vain talk. So he is framing the discussion of the relationship between the disciple and the teacher. He is framing that in terms of obedience to the instruction. And when you do that, the language about relationship becomes irrelevant in a way, because it's all about studying the text and acting accordingly. When you take the text out of the equation and you speak platonically the way modern Christians do about their personal relationship with their personal God, then it becomes not just vain talk, but the kind of vain talk that's destructive because you then act and speak with an authority that doesn't belong to you. If I say, Jesus said, and I read exactly what Jesus just said in verse 21, then it's not my authority, it's the authority of the Gospel of Matthew. But if I say, I am close to Jesus and I love Jesus, and then I speak, I am putting myself in the place of God and the Apostle. I am making the statement and imposing it on you for my own glory. It's a very important critique, Richard, that needs to be clearly outlined because it comes into conflict with modern religion of all sorts and all types, and people suffer because of it. I mean, I was just talking to a friend recently who's been having some trouble in his marriage, and his wife got really angry with him and saying he hasn't changed, he hasn't done anything, and he says, I know I changed, I know I've done a lot, I know that I'm a different person, and I told him simply, then figure out what concrete actions you're going to take today to serve her. Don't tell her you've changed. Take the actions to serve her. And then she'll maybe begin to believe that you actually love her. It's very concrete, and we make it sound like this is something very foreign, but this is what happens between couples all the time. You keep telling me you love me, but I'm not seeing it. This is how normal people talk. And it's like you were saying in Fiddler on the Roof, I don't know if you love me. Well, have you actually looked at my actions? Because I'm showing you that I love you. People know that this concreteness is where the proof is. This is what Jesus is demanding as well. If you want to enter into the kingdom, do the will of the one who is in heaven, the one who's sitting in the heavens. If you want to enter it, then do his will. It's very straightforward. And you can say, Lord, Lord, and follow some other teaching. It's very easy to do. And when I was looking at Hosea, that's the normal thing to do. But the correct thing to do is not to say, Lord, Lord, until you're blue in the face. It's just work and do what you need to do. And Jesus has been laying this out for two and a half chapters already. Hopefully this is straightforward now what you need to do. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name cast out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Again, this only becomes difficult, Richard, when people think of the signs and the wonders as the fruit. The fruit is the obedience to the teaching and what it produces in the world. If you are using signs and wonders to build up your authority so that you can say something other than what's written in Scripture, you are a false prophet. 
Deuteronomy is highly functional as a context for this passage. If it's not clear yet, I'm not sure what to do, because he says, if you want to enter the kingdom of heaven, then you have to do the will of the one who is in the heavens. Okay, fine. But we prophesied, yeah, but don't forget (laughs) what he actually said you're supposed to do. I mean, this is what's crazy. Well, look at all the things that we did do. Okay, how about the things I actually told you you were supposed to do? This is what's funny is the disconnect between, oh, well, we prophesied your name, we healed in your name. Okay, but did you do anything I said over the past two and a half chapters? Because I'm not hearing it. I'm not seeing it. It's keeping it simple. If Jesus says you need to do A, B, and C, then you say, look, we did D. Uh, Okay, but I told you you need to do A, B, and C, and I'm not seeing it. To think that people want to replace the teaching of Jesus with what they thought they should be doing, all that means is that they're following their own will. Well, we found this other thing that's just as important, that's just as good as what you taught, Jesus, and we did that instead. Really, just as important. Okay, well, uh, actually, what was most important is the thing that I said. You didn't do it, so what can I say now? Rich, just look at religion, not just Christianity. Look at any religion throughout time. Just look at them. Everything is about the personality of the teacher in all religions. They always make it about the personality of the teacher. And on the whole, there are plenty of teachers throughout history who love that and amplify that by claiming the stage to speak with the authority of the god or gods of their religion as though it was their authority, and they make up whatever they want to say to serve their agenda. That's the central issue in the Bible. That is why the statue is toppled in the temple and replaced with a scroll. So that even if the king who walks the earth would claim that he is the anointed or the son of the deity, even if he would make that claim, if the deity in the temple is not a statue, but the content that's sitting in the scroll on the chair, then that king is under the authority of wisdom and cannot say whatever he wants. Fast forward to 2018, instead of one king, we have every individual Christian behaving as though they are the king who has a personal relationship with the deity and who can say whatever they want to manifest their agenda corporate or personal. It's destructive, and it's anti-scriptural. Only the God of Scripture can impose his will. No human being can do so. That's why in Isaiah, only the God of Scripture stands out. Everyone is flattened out. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. And that is a technical term. It is to be without the rule of the Torah, anomia. And the action they're performing is called the ergazomeni. So the workers who perform the works, which are against the law, which are counter to the law. And what does it mean to be counter to the law? Does it mean doing the opposite of the law? No, it means doing those things that are not contained in the law. Don't forget, in the first two chapters, it was all undermining 
the ego of the person doing things. If we go all the way back to the Beatitudes, the only thing that people were able to see about you was that you were suffering on behalf of carrying out the will of God. And then all the ways that you carry out the will of God, your prayers, no one can see. Your fasting, no one can see. Your good works, even you can't see them. No one is allowed to see them because if they did, it would puff your ego up. It would be about you and not about the Lord. Simply doing the will of the Lord is what matters. People think it's about doing flashy things or fantastic things or even divine things. It's not about doing divine things other than carrying out the divine will. But the will was stated before you. I love that you mentioned, Father, about the scroll versus the king because the king was born and then he died. But the scroll was there before the king was born and is there after the king died. The statue can be whatever you make of it, but the scroll tells you precisely what it is. Knowing the precise will of God and carrying out those words exclusively is what it means to be obedient and what it means to be a member, a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. And if you are not following that law, you are following the law of another kingdom. Enjoy being a citizen of that kingdom. But you're not going to be a citizen of this kingdom, and that's why he's saying, depart from me, go away from me, go back to the kingdom whose king you're serving. But you're not serving this king, obviously, I can tell, by your actions, by your fruit. Thanks very much, Dr. Benton. Thank you, Father. You've just heard the Bible as literature. Thanks for listening. The Bible as Literature is a production of the Ephesus School Network.